Blog Talk Radio. Radio program. I'm Susan Larison Dance, and I am so delighted to welcome you here back again today after quite a week of shows. This is the last show of this week, and I know that right now many of us are are really integrating um, just what's going on in the world right now, and very close to home in the U.S. here, and um, I just want us all to to take a moment and and breathe i think would be the best approach right now and and realize that truthfully love is the answer um that we cannot be separated from the love that binds us all together and that is my abiding faith on this day because i know that there's a lot of confusion in the world right now and if we just find that space of peace at our center, that is the key. Now, I am waiting for, for our guest. Actually, I'm probably going to check here in a minute to see if um, I can reach our guest, see if there was sometimes signals get crossed a little bit, and I will I will double check. But um, I am awaiting um, Stephen Schwartz and a very amazing person who I'm sure is very much caught up today in what's going on in the world. So um, I am going to just take a brief break here while I double-check just to see what's happening, and and, um, and I'll let you know. So just hold on a second. I'm going to put a song on by Larry Sire, Grammy Award winner, who's helped us on this show, and I'm so appreciative of him giving us some music. So here is a song that I think may be appropriate for today, Nothing Impossible. Oh 
visit your universe. True kindness. Sprouting wings and flying. Emberless health. Perpetual motion. Self-discipline. Open communication. Family unity. Time travel. Clear vision. Speed of life. World at peace. Nothing impossible. Well, we may have a relaxed time for a little bit here. Every once in a while, this happens, and the the best choice is always just to go right ahead and and talk about some of the topics that are relevant to um, Stephen Schwartz's work. And I assume that if if we don't manage to get him on today, that um, I will be in touch with with um, the people who work with him and his wonderful books that he's he has put out, and um, we will see if we can get him on in the future. But he may still come, and we'll hold that positive intent because occasionally people are late, and there's a lot going on in the world right now. So, um, you know, I think that what this work has led me to contemplate, and today I just come fresh from spending time with this wonderful book, The Eight Laws of Change, How to Be an Agent of Personal and Social Transformation. What this book and what so many worldwide way showers who are often, um, they can be really quietly working within society, which is the key to this, this book, is they don't have to be in official posts or anything like that. It has to do with the individual choices that we make every day, every moment, every time we have a decision. And I have been reflecting on on just some of the things that, that Stephen had to share and so many things going on right now. I I sense that 
right now it's really easy to fall into fear in our world. It is changing in ways that can be very uncomfortable, especially in the U.S. We can feel that um, the the security of our day-to-day life feels disrupted at the moment, and it's not the first time, but we're really feeling it today um, because of events in San Bernardino, and we don't really know what exactly happened there. In fact, I checked right before the show to see what the latest was, and they're really not saying what the latest is, but what we do know is that we are having kind of the rug pulled out from underneath us multiple times right now with these very um, stark interjections of of um, violence into our lives that just isn't something that of us who just go about our day-to-day existence, we're not used to dealing with that. And, you know, many of us are brought back to September 11th, 2001, what that felt like at the time those of us who lived through that, because I know there are younger listeners who didn't live through that. And then, of course, there are those far older than me who have lived through pivotal times. And it, it just, the key, I feel, to navigating these things, this show is about fear. And I have evolved in my understanding of fear over the course of having this show over five years. I used to think that we could just not pay attention to it, or I tended to to want to think that to some degree. And although it's true that we can emphasize on other things within our in our consciousness, there is no question we can do that. We can also work with our fears when they appear and even look at them in a way of considering them catalysts. Our fears are often catalysts change as is any traumatic event and if we can begin to look at things in our lives that way we really do begin to dismantle the fear which is really interesting but you have to allow it and and then step outside of it so um i think that the most important thing that we can do is to find our center as people. Are we striving to be compassionate, good people in the world, using that term good in a way that is not associated with any dogma, that is simply about an, an, a way of, of navigating this world that you can't even label doesn't necessarily have a list of rules involved. It has to do with loving your neighbor. Perhaps that's the most fundamental rule of all, which crosses many, many spiritual traditions. And also a part of that is loving yourself. Because when we find that love and when we can accept the love, which to me is coming from the divine, but if you do not believe in God... It can come from your fellow mankind, from the universe, from however you choose to portray that within your own personal belief system. If we can come to appreciate our own authenticity and navigate the world in that way and 
reach out to others, treat others. It's as simple as treating others as we would choose to be treated. And that's a fundamental rule, and it has to do with compassion. And so the key right now, I feel, is to get out of reactive states of mind. Reactive states of mind, and I use that word mind very deliberately, are not associated with the heart. They are more associated with our survival mechanisms as a species. The the way that we would, that's what reactions t- typically are, and they can be very visceral and physical. When we are caught in a challenging situation, sometimes that serves us very well. If we need to get out of a particular situation, those mechanisms are there for a reason. We are still physical beings on this planet, and things can happen which we need to respond to quickly. If you touch a hot stove, you better pull your hand away. I mean, that's one of the first things that children learn, and there are things that matter. However, at a greater level, at a higher consciousness level, that interconnectedness level, that is where we find a different kind of center. That is where we get beyond the mere physical, although it can have very much an influence on the physical. But that is where we connect to the mysterious, to that binding together that exists. And I would postulate, in fact, I would certainly attest that it goes far beyond just this world because to think that it is isolated only here is really very limited. Given the vastness of what we now believe is a multiverse and science is beginning to uncover that, that it is a multiverse, not even simply a universe. In fact, I saw in the news just the other day something, I don't know how how legitimate this is yet, sometimes you see different things on the, on the Internet, but some study that, that was contending that the universe, this universe, has no beginning. And I found that really interesting. It was questioning the Big Bang. And I think many of us for a long time have felt that Um, You know, there is a multiverse, not just one universe, but can you even conceive the vastness of that? And when you begin to think about the vastness of the multiverse and when you become aware of higher consciousness and how um, some of Stephen Schwartz's work, in fact, a great deal of it, is very courageous work having to do with non-local consciousness and I will say that when you become aware of that, you realize that we cannot be separated by space or by time. And many of us have had personal mystical experiences. I am one such person. And when it happened to me, it really, in some ways, took me utterly by surprise. In other ways, I think that even as a child, I was open to these kinds of things. And I just didn't quite understand where that could lead. And the world beyond our consciousness is vast, and consciousness has no boundaries. And so what does that mean? When we're facing these challenges in the world right now, 
What does it mean? It means that we're never alone. We are never alone. Think about, you know, they they think, although now they say, who knows what, what really is the truth, but they were looking at, um, I, I believe it was near Vega, which is, um, uh, or actually I'm trying to remember now where this was exactly. Um, in Cygnus, there is a star system where um, it looked like maybe there was alien technology. This could make sense, although I have to say I'm somewhat um, deterred by that because I tend to think that the species that are going to evolve to that level are likely not to be technological. And I... When I first saw this, I was, I, I was really pondering, can technological societies really get past the boundaries they need to get past to exist at that level where they could leverage the power of a sun, for example, which is what some people were speculating. And I suppose it's possible. Anything is possible. There are all kinds of societies, I'm sure. Um, but... Um, the real thing that we need to be thinking about is that we're not separated from anyone, anywhere, at any time. And we're never alone. And there is evidence of this. So that's my adventurous thought this morning, which should not be... Con- well, this morning, this afternoon, I'm losing track of time. Um, again, there are no boundaries of time. Because we limit ourselves far too often we limit ourselves in the way that um, we allow um, what others might project as fringe to impact our thinking Um, so um, at this point I will probably I don't know if our guests will arrive actually I'm going to do another check here just um, the, the person behind the curtain here running all the levers so, and I love it this way. I enjoy this show and the way that it unfolds. Just going to double check again to see if there's any word on our guest. Okay. I think they're checking. Um, yeah, I've got some some word. Okay, I'm going to see if I can multitask here, be on the air and type at the same time. It's like being a computer scientist, I swear, so many times. Okay. Um just checking. So the the real question here, you know, even in this moment now, how do we navigate the circumstances right in front of us, right in the present moment? We simply navigate them. Right now, I'm just multitasking at a mo- at the moment, seeing if we can we can get Stephen here. Okay. All right. So I've written I've written to them and we'll see what happens. And if we don't get Stephen Schwartz on today, we'll see if we can get him on in the future because he he certainly um just my initial interactions with him indicate that um and also just his wonderful work. Um he he's a really amazing individual and I'm happy to to become aware of his work because I've had I know that I've seen it to some degree but I'm not an expert on his work. And as as usual, this show, 
as it unfolds, helps me to explore as much as the listeners. And I'm very appreciative of that because we are all having an experience here on this planet. And as much as we choose to expand our awareness um, of, of really what can be both adventurous concepts and simple concepts affecting the way that we navigate our everyday lives in a compassionate way, which is what Stephen's all about, um, the more that we integrate these things, the more that we see that these great people out there that have done amazing things and the list of his accomplishments goes on and on. I mean, it's just amazing what he has done in the world and what he's explored. And yet at the core, what is his message? It's about individual choices, how we can make a difference in the most simple of ways. Um, And it can be many ways. I found it very interesting that Stephen talks about um, even what some people do anonymously, that so often you do things, you have no idea what the impact can be. And I would say that um, anyone who has written a book, anyone who does a show like I do, um, we really tend to think that if it just reaches one person, if it changes one life, that is wonderful. And we need to think that way more and more. You know, we we don't need to have um, grandiose expectations of everything that we do because what we do is life to life to life, touching just one life at a time. And sometimes things do go out to a lot of people. Um, many years ago, I felt led to write on the Oprah discussion forum, for example, and I know some of the listeners to this show are still with me now that that we're generally fellow writers on that forum, and we were just a bunch of people writing about our lives. I tended to write about the perspective of coming out of the evangelical church and just how I felt that those ways of thinking about the world were influencing so many of us. where if you believe in hell or the end times, that can have a significant effect on how you view the world. And reflecting upon Stephen's work, I can't help but ponder that again today, is um, how we are navigating the challenges that we are encountering has a lot to do with the framework in which we see the world. And there are no doubt listeners out there today who are firm believers in the end times in one way or another. Um, Recently, I was talking to Mormon missionaries at my door. We were talking about the latter days. I don't completely understand or even begin to understand everything about what, um, what Mormons believe, but I know that you know, when I encounter them, they are kind people, very engaged in the community. Um, we are involved in a lot of volunteer work, and we were planning for something to, that people from multiple paths are participating in volunteering. And, and that is a key part of the fabric of our everyday reality, is how we choose to participate compassionately with one another. But the thing is, is that I did find it interesting that, you know, when they talk about being Latter-day Saints, they really do believe in the latter days. And a lot of people believe that right now, and it's influencing their behavior. 
In fact, it always has through history. If you believe in hell, for example, although I do think a lot of people who are striving to believe in hell have a really hard time truly believing in hell and and tend to fight themselves over that. Their conscience tends to say that it doesn't make sense. Their heart tends to say that God is more loving than that. But, you know, they're told by dogma that hell and, and um, eternal condemnation, even eternal torture exists. Um, there's a disconnect with compassion within the heart when this happens. That does not mean those who come from this background lack compassion, but I think there can be a great deal of anguish involved, which I personally went through for many years of my life, the anguish of the disconnect between dogma that is given to us as children and often adults as well, especially when you're going through a hard time. It seems to arrive um, in some way for those who believe in this, and how it conflicts with our fundamental core values of conscience and compassion. And when this happens, what do we choose? Do we believe that God is love? Do we trust in a loving presence? Do we feel a loving presence? I know that we do. No matter what our belief system, I have many loved ones who are evangelicals who are connected to this love. In fact, one of the hardest things for me in that belief system was I was so in anguish over this concept of eternal punishment and condemnation and just the harshness of what was being presented. I couldn't truly experience that love until... I was rather abruptly awakened in a different way many years later when I asked to be shown the way. And what that way is for all of us is not dogma, it's love. It's fundamental. God is love. I was taught that. God is omnipresent. We are inseparable from the love that binds us together. So if someone in our world is being influenced by harsh life conditions, which is usually the case, it comes from childhood, no doubt, um, and being influenced to be disruptive in the world, how do we choose to approach that? Compassionately compassionately because it's the truth there is a brokenness when this happens there is a brokenness and we can choose to react and break ourselves we can choose to react from our own shadows which is our own inner brokenness whatever the source or We can choose to understand and be loving and look for ways to shift the context of our world. We can trust in the divine. If we choose to believe in the divine, we can trust that we are not alone. I had a very significant 
experience many years ago that actually was non-local. I have a word for it now. I had well, I've had it that word before, but I haven't. I, I'm not really aware of of the specific work that Stephen Schwartz has explored, for example. But we're all many of us are having non-local experiences. In fact, I just said it. We all are. We just aren't always awakened to it and fully conscious. It's impossible not to, because we are all one. So. Can we uplift one another? Yes, we can. As each of us shifts our heart, can we non-locally influence someone else who maybe is wanting to do harm? Yes, we can. Is there a critical mass of people awakening? Um, Stephen tells the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, something very known to me from from my upbringing, maybe to many in the audience right now, if you've come from that tradition or actively believe in it. And what's interesting about Sodom and Gomorrah, that uh, an aspect that, that Stephen discusses, is how there was a question in that story about if there were only a small number of people who were good, let's use that word in a broad way, it may have been used as righteous in the story itself, and that gets a little bit complicated depending on how you choose to evaluate that, but what are good people? And that story, I'm not going to talk about all the details of it right now. We're just talking because there can, that becomes debatable the question now, at a higher level, are there people of compassion and goodness? Yes. Can we shift this planet by staying in that state of consciousness? Yes. To undermine that goodness. I was thinking about this a little bit. You know, um, Stephen talks a little bit about Benjamin Franklin and how he discussed community and how being engaged in community is such a powerful thing. It's the fabric of our culture, these one-to-one-to-one involvements that we have. In fact, it very much reminds me of my interactions with the Mormons recently. Um, just the, you know, just really sweet people. I mean... I don't begin to understand all the beliefs. It doesn't matter. I don't have to 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 embrace those. What I see at the core is a compassion. Are there things going on within that church dogmatically or even in active um you know in terms of the leadership, what they are questioning, what they are doing that I would object to? Yes, absolutely. But the question is when I interact with an individual from a different from, from a different belief system than mine, do I see the love at the center? Can I see that compassion? Even if I don't, if I see a disconnect, where I, if I see a brokenness, can I have compassion for that person? But what what is really powerful is when you see the shared context of compassion between people, despite differing belief systems, even if dogma is totally at odds. It doesn't matter. Is it at the center? Is there that love? Is it conscious for that person? And is it influencing how that person is navigating through the world? 
And if that's the case, we've found it. We have found it consciously, our connection, and we can work together. We can work together for goodness and light. And that's the key. What undermines this? You know, something I have found, and I am sure many of you can talk about this as well, and I've been caught up in it too. One of my weaknesses at times is gossip, believe it or not. And I have seen this happen more than once. And I tend to think that when when it happens, when we become critical in some way or we feel this divisiveness or there's like something isn't going right and there, there's this tendency sometimes to say, oh, you know, it's because so-and-so has done this or whatever. This happens so often and we all have our shadows. And I will tell you, over the course of my life, it's something I've really worked with and continue to work with, but somewhat imperfectly. It's easy to do. And yet it undermines where we're at. And what I find happening more and more is when this happens, when we choose to be critical, and maybe gossip is a shallow word for it, but I guess it's being critical without really understanding what's going on. Um, or, or maybe even sometimes unfairly, it can often be defensive. When that happens... Can we just stop ourselves for a minute and say, okay, all right, is it really that way? I find this happening more and more when when I'll be talking to someone and and they're critical or maybe I've said something critical. I'll backtrack and I'll say, well, wait a minute, I know so-and-so means well. I know this or that. This is the reason why they believe this way or this has happened or whatever. I tend to do this more and more. And to me, that's the path towards compassion. It's also an imperfect path because I find that I can be imperfect. I can be um, somewhat exacting when I'm in certain situations. Even I've, I've been a somewhat perfectionistic leader in my life at times, which is not always easy. And yet um, we can still navigate life looking for the best outcomes, doing our best to create the best outcomes, and be in a state of compassion when someone seems to fall short in some way without being critical. The thing to do then is, how can we help? How can we help this situation? How can we help ourselves to understand? And this is how we navigate the world. How can we better understand what is actually going on with forces within our society that are divisive? Usually at the core... There is ambiguity. That is not unusual. If you are really, honestly, consciously looking at many issues facing our society, when you really spend time with these issues and you choose to be in a space of compassion, what tends to happen is that even if dogmatically you do not agree or may have all the facts in the world to counter whatever Um, this divisive thing is, if you can find that place where, well, I get why they believe this way. I don't have to agree with it, but I see exactly why that happened. It can have historical sources. A lot of the things going on in society today, many of us don't understand, claim to be even a, uh, a small degree of the scholars 
that that have come on this show the the type of scholarship and research that's going on here and the 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 recall that people have my memory is not that good and although i've studied many things and many of us probably can relate to this we don't necessarily remember everything um from human history which um well nobody remembers everything of course but we may feel very imperfect at times in terms of of how accurately we know certain things. Well, how accurately have we ever known certain things about history? Because history is written by people with an agenda, unfortunately. So in some ways, if we can come to the table with fresh eyes and say, yes, I remember being taught this or that, or I don't quite remember that exactly, but I remember something about it or whatever, Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we can start reexamining our culture and how it came to be in an honest way. Look at it through other evidence that is out there. And instead of just accepting what we were fed in one way or another, because there is always an agenda, and this has been true all the way through history, um, if we can begin to better understand history and see the ambiguity embedded within it, then we will start to see what influenced the decisions that people made. Then we will start to see how can we make better decisions just in our day-to-day lives. And that's what Stephen Schwartz's work is about, is how individuals can make decisions. In fact, he has at the end of his book a pledge, which I'm going to read to you this pledge. And I actually read this pledge out loud today, even though I knew that I was already, thankfully, not always in my life, let me tell you, not always. But right now, I, I was happy to feel that, yes, I am doing my best. Do I do it imperfectly? Everybody does it imperfectly, I would sense. But there is a pledge at the end of his book that says, I pledge that at every decision point throughout my day, from this day forward, I will ask myself before making the decision of the options available to me, which is the most compassionate and life-affirming one as I understand it in this moment. I pledge that I will choose that one. You know, I'm going to read that again. I pledge that at every decision point throughout my day, from this day forward, I will ask myself before making the decision of the options available to me, which is the most compassionate and life-affirming one as I understand it in this moment. I pledge that I will choose that one, the most compassionate and life-affirming decision. Reflect on that for a moment. What does that really convey? If it's compassionate and life-affirming, it must necessarily be consistent with love for yourself. That would be life-affirming. And love for one another, that too is life-affirming. And in both cases, it is very much compassionate. 
because we cannot exclude ourselves from compassion. If we do, we will very much limit our capacity to be compassionate for others. And so both parts of this are important. There are many instances where people are making a huge difference in this world. Something that I have become aware of regarding this show is how I tend not to ask, although I probably could. The top authors of our day, you know, the New York Times best-selling authors uh, that are very well known in the spiritual community or wherever, to come on the show. Um, There have maybe been a couple of exceptions. And is there a reason for that? Well, part of it may be. Maybe I have asked one or two and it didn't work out. Or, um, But you know what? It really isn't that. It has to do with there is an entire group of people who have written amazing books, who have done astonishing research that maybe haven't by the numbers gotten to that level of being, quote, known or popular. Does a person need to be known or popular to make a difference? And I love working with these people because they are making a difference in their own ways. And many of them have had really incredible positions in life where they've already done this. But I think that that any one of us listening out there who might be considering writing a book, for example, or starting your own radio show, which I highly encourage, because just having the opportunity to express your own voice or to simply talk with other people in an authentic, free-flowing way, as you would on the phone, If you had someone on the phone or you were sitting at coffee or you happened to meet them at a dinner, how would you talk to them? If more of us could do this, and it's not always easy, I'm not saying it is, but if we could, if we could bring as much of our authentic selves to the table, and I'm not saying I've figured that out yet. There's a lot of my authentic self that isn't yet here. It's here in the background, but not totally at the table. Because I have, certainly every one of us, but I've had some pretty intense experiences in my life that are not always easily discussed. But that's true of all of us in one way or another, I feel. But can we bring as much of ourselves as we have the courage to bring, a step at a time, to the table, to one another, and simply be ourselves? Can we consciously say, those of us who truly believe this, that we choose to believe in the love that is at the center, that we choose to believe that this world is shifting, that we choose to believe that the divine, the universe, the multiverse, spirit, the angels, however you want to characterize it, are benign and not harsh agents of judgment or destruction or anything of the kind but are working on our behalf that are part of us because if we have any notion of the omnipresence of god or of spirit 
then necessarily we are inseparable. Something that came up in a recent show that I've talked about before, and it's really, really important, is if there is this omnipresence, and I don't consider this an if, but we can postulate it as an if, because not everyone believes it. Who are we really? We are ourselves. I'm Susan, talking, where the guest, I'm sure, was um, in some way uh, probably caught up in the things of the world today because he's an amazing soul. And um, so we'll see if we can catch up with him in the future. But... I'm being called to just speak for a while, and I could have stopped the show a little bit ago, but I I didn't, because I'm just flowing with it. I'm Susan. I'm who I am right now. And that's great. I love that I get to interact with all these people, being who they are. But who they are at the center is also aspects of the divine, which is omnipresence. Does that mean that they are declaring in a prideful way, uh, that they are somehow above anyone else. It is the way of just about, in fact, even to say this sounds prideful. You know, when you declare this is a way of humility, that can feel prideful in a very paradoxical way. But if we claim that together, if we see that um, knowing that we are one and yet also many, um is a path of true humility and not any kind of path of claiming power over someone else or even um, attempting to claim the power of God as our own individually in a, a way that is prideful. And that's important because I know there are evangelicals listening and you guys don't always understand how so-called New Agers think about the world. And I don't necessarily want to claim that label, although many of you would consider me that. I don't necessarily fall into that worldview completely. I, I am not definable. But I do believe in heaven on earth, which I think many of you do too. And I know evangelicals listen. Um, so it doesn't have to be prideful. How can it be prideful to say, The omnipresent God is also in me. If you're a conservative Christian, what does it mean to say I am one with the body of Christ? It is no different. It's love. It expresses how by your fruits. Are you getting out in the world doing compassionate things? Are you just judging other people or are you assisting other people? And believe me, that can happen everywhere. There are judges all over the place. We don't have to, but what happens when we're judges? I can be a judge sometimes. It's usually because we don't love ourselves enough in some way and we just need to take more of that love in because most judgment that we project on other people is something that we're judging within ourselves. And so can we take more of that love consciously into ourselves and let it heal those wounds that we have within us that may have occurred in various ways throughout our lives. We all have wounds. But something 
rather sublime that I am once again getting at here, and this does have to do with consciousness, is if we are inseparable across time and across space with everything and everyone, because that is necessarily true when we believe that God is omnipresent, whether you choose to use that word God or not, I could as easily use goddess, although that too can then, by its implications, those two words both can have some connotations that are uncomfortable for people. And I get that. Even using the word universe, that to me can sometimes have negative connotations. It feels unfeeling to me. It feels cold. It feels empty sometimes, although I use it. I don't know what to call it. Maybe we should just call it love. Maybe that's good enough because there's no negative connotation to love unless you're looking at some form of love that isn't really love, unconditional love. Maybe that's it. Of course, can anything not really be love? There's yet another little paradox because if God is omnipresent, love is. And so anything that seems imperfect, anything that falls short, is simply that it's a it's a a clouding of the glass. It's like in First Corinthians thirteen, we're seeing darkly. We're not seeing the whole picture. We can't see the full love that's at the center. We can't see why we came to earth to be human aspects of the divine, to grow love in very adventurous ways, like climbing Mount Everest. And we are inseparable from everyone who ever came onto this planet. I like to think of it, and I said this, I think in the show, I can't remember which show, this keeps coming up with other guests. It's, it's an adventurous concept, and yet it just makes sense. We are the living Akash, is what we are. We are ourselves, but within us, I believe that evolved societies become more and more aware that they are inseparable from the many and the one, and that this can be a rather magical experience once you begin to realize that. What is God? That's a huge question, and necessarily so. So I can't believe that we're actually within 10 minutes of the end of this show, and I've just been rambling on. Oh, dear, it seems I got another message. Let's see what's going on here. Okay, no? We'll just see what happens here. But, um, okay, all right. Um, Oh, okay, yes. Our, Our guest was detained today. And see, he's been traveling, uh, Yes. Well, if if his publicist who just wrote to me is listening, um, I completely understand. No problem whatsoever. Um, you know, I, I so understand. And if you could understand what this person, Stephen Schwartz, is about, you too would be understanding. And many of you may, may be much more aware of his work in the world than I am so far, although I'm excited to learn more about it. And yes, Yes, of course, he'll be here in the future. 
And those of you listening to this show in the future, I welcome you across time, will notice it'll be totally relabeled by then because I always do that. It'll just have a note at the end that we were expecting this particular guest, and hopefully at some point it'll have a note of when he's actually coming on. Um, probably it'll be after the first of the year just because of the constraints in the schedule, but we'll see. Um, but um, I'm sure his schedule's very busy, and actually this show schedule's really packed um, right now. So, But we will find a good time to reschedule Stephen Schwartz um, and during the interim, maybe you can do some homework. I'll tell you what, if you want to get a powerful book about individually having an impact on the world, maybe you can study up on it just like I just did with his book, The Eight Laws of Change. Let's make this a, a book group <laughs> for Stephen when he finally is on the show. I would really invite you to check out this book because um, it certainly has had an impact on me today um, really has gotten me to reflect about how as individuals we can make a difference. We can make a difference. If only one person has lingered to listen to me ramble today, um, I I hope that, that it is helping you just to reflect. And I hope you too are thinking about, you know, maybe some adventurous concepts. Why are we so afraid to think adventurously about the world? It's because we've been judged for it, especially if we come from a scientific background, but really any background. We're always judged to think beyond the box. Society doesn't like paradigm shifts because there is a certain, well, the normalcy bias, for one, if those of you are familiar with that term, but we have to think adventurously. Because that's how creative change happens, is by thinking adventurously and just listening and being honest with what we're observing in the world. We need to be honest with ourselves first, as best we can, often imperfectly, but we need to do our best, and that's the key. That I think that in any pledge that we make, it's always going to be to do our best. You know, these things change over time, too. Sometimes we may have made pledges that evolve. The real key is, is there love at the center? How are we navigating through our world in the most meaningful way that is compassionate? So, it's important. Let me see how we're doing. I suppose, since we're getting really close to the end, which to me is amazing how fast that went by, Yep, we got five minutes left. Okay, well, I will do my due diligence here and see what we've got coming up. Um, I do want to invite the live audience. That And by the way, let's see, I noticed we were on the front page for a while, my rambling on. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness, we're still up there. Okay, well, um, I want to say to the live audience listening, that um, you can learn all about this show at FrontierBeyondFear.com. This show's been going on for over five years now, and, you know, it is my intent to simply talk to various people doing their best to express their authentic views in the world, often very leading-edge research. I'm going to be bringing more scientists on. More and more, I hope to make this show 
kind of like the discussions I was having on my porch with the Mormons recently, compassionately connecting with people of various viewpoints. I have always said this, and we're not quite there yet. I mean, I really would love to invite an evangelical on the show who wants to talk to a so-called New Ager, although I will warn you that how to label that is pretty challenging, and in the end you're going to find out it's about heaven on earth and that many of us are New Agers in one way or another and that this the power of prayer kind of is is expressed in different ways. I think that we find this more and more, that we are on the same page more and more and we don't realize it. We're just using different terms. You know, we say a new ager says, I am God. Well, that can be a really uncomfortable statement for, for a lot of people. I tend not to say that because to me it sounds like I'm taking power over someone else. And that's the evangelical objection to that statement. Well, what what if you say, I am inseparable from God or, you know, God is omnipresent? Well, then suddenly that becomes not so different than what I was always taught as a Christian. What is it to be a Christian? That's a big topic, too. You know, that that there are many definitions, although I know evangelicals have very specific ones, and I come from that background, so I understand. I do. And see, that's the key. I do understand. I do understand. And I know, I know that these are challenging times. I know that it looks like the end times. I know that, you know, um, there are things happening in the world that mirror just strange things that many of us were taught as children. But do we trust in God or not? Do we trust in the love at the center or not? Do we believe that a loving God is a fundamentally destructive force? Or do we believe that God is loving? Do we believe that God can ever abandon anyone and throw away the key is that consistent with unconditional love is that consistent the mercy of so-called supernatural deceivers and their eternal fate is hanging in the balance does that make sense this by the way is what i used to share anonymously on the oprah forum and on another forum carm those of you who know that because there may be those who do it with a Christian apologetics forum. And I wrote probably a thousand pages on each. So who knows? Just going on and on about these things, because it had to do with love and my own struggles, coming to terms with love and what it really is, what it means, and what is compassion, what is true compassion, what is it? What do I choose to believe? What do I choose to stand up for? If you want to come to FrontierBeyondFear.com, that's right, I was going to talk about I lost track, just kind of getting carried away today. Reminds me of the bridge builder days. That's what it used to be like. Um, We have coming up next week, Monday, December 7th, Pivotal Day in History, Christopher Vasey, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name right, The Spiritual Mysteries of Blood. That sounds a little odd on the surface, but it's a really interesting topic. And he's coming on the show, another Inner Traditions author. Um, Oh, gosh, I may butcher this name. You know, I took French in high school, and yet I'm having a heck of a time pronouncing things lately. I don't know. It's just my own limitation. So imperfectly um, on Tuesday, December 8th, 
12 noon Pacific, Marie Ange for I can't say this name right now. Fogarala, Angels Around the World. I think I need to go back to school. Um, 12 p.m. Pacific. And that's going to be an interesting show. Now we're in the archive, and I welcome those of you who've been listening. And I know the show is now labeled whatever I choose to label it, probably something about unconditional love. We have another show Wednesday, December 9th, 3 p.m. Pacific, Christian De Quincey Blind Spots. Now, that sounds interesting. And then next Friday, December 11th at 6 p.m. Pacific, I know that you guys enjoy Sue Storm coming on the show again, a holiday angel show. And she loves to talk to people about the angels. Sue's really cool. She's been everywhere. She's even been on The Daily Show with John Stewart when John was doing it. Um, and I find that amazing because that's such a such a – a challenging place to get to, and yet she was invited. So um, she's kind of a, a, she's a really cool person. So she's going to be on. And so anyway, we got a lot coming up, and look for Stephen Schwartz in the future. And my apologies to my French teacher. I don't know why I have this limitation anymore, but I just seem to to have pronunciation issues, and sometimes with English words, too. One of my own personal imperfections is sometimes I'll look up words before the show because I am such a reader more than a speaker sometimes anymore that I can't really explain it. Maybe it's part of being more connected in a higher consciousness way. The the language falls away, and you know all that's left at the center is pure feeling. Maybe that's it. I really don't know. It's just the way the universe is working with my own humility, I think, and imperfection. But anyway, thank you, everyone, for being here. I appreciate you, and I will keep you posted on when Stephen Shorts will be coming on. And I just very much appreciate you being here today. Take care, everyone. (laughs) 